This episode is sponsored by magicmush.ca. If you're looking for an online dispensary for magic mushrooms, mushroom chocolate, and other high-quality psychedelic products, head over to magicmush.ca and use the promo code JAMES to get 25% off. Hello, beautiful soul. My name is James Zander. Before we begin this episode, I invite you to download my free mushroom trip checklist. This is a free PDF guide that dives into everything you need to know for your next psychedelic trip. What to do before your trip, during your trip, and after your psychedelic journey. Head over to mushroomchecklist.com to download it for free or use the link in the show notes. And now, enjoy this episode. Being vulnerable is what all of us want. That's when love truly matters. You could show me your mask and I could love your mask, but you're never gonna feel my love. You're never gonna feel it. You're only gonna feel it when you show me your truth and I still love it. If I truly loved myself, would I have a mask on? If I had truly given myself the love and attention I, I need, would I truly have put a mask on? A lot of us are afraid of abandonment, but you're the first to abandon yourself all the time. We want people to care about us and our emotions, but you are the first person to abandon yourself whenever an emotion comes up. You don't give it any attention, you don't give it any care, you distract, you abandon. You, the person who is afraid of being rejected, you are the first person to reject yourself. Hello, beautiful soul, and welcome to The Microdose. Today's guest is an entrepreneur, performance coach, spiritual seeker, and my good friend, Omar Harb. I wanted to get Omar on the microdose to do a deep dive into the core aspects of love, unconditional love, self-love, and how we can deepen our relationship with our heart and the hearts of others. Omar, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here today. Very happy to have you. So I wanted to start with the definition of love. Do you think there is a universal definition of love or is it subjective and unique to each individual? <laughs> That's a good question. Depending on the kind of love we're talking about, the love that we are talking about today, which is the unconditional love, I think it has a definition. And the definition of it, to me, would be the lack of self because unconditional love to me it, it it cannot it's not something that you produce it's what is left after you've let go of everything and it just arises as a as a product of the letting go of everything so to me it's, it's the natural state of existence if you let go of everything pretty much so to feel unconditional love for others you're saying we have to be completely selfless because isn't there a selfish element of love to some degree there is but to me to me the uncon unconditional love is not an experience i don't think you experience unconditional love and i don't think you give unconditional love I also don't think that unconditional love is a real thing for the self. The self cannot experience unconditional love. The self cannot 
begin to understand what unconditional love is because unconditional to me there can unconditional love cannot exist with duality if you do not if you're if you're very stuck believing that there is a self and another then it's quite impossible to really experience unconditional love because i also don't think that it's an experience that you have it's a it's a state of existence itself there's no giver and receiver when it comes to keyword unconditional love the kind of pure love it it just is what has your relationship been like with the state of unconditional love i've had many experiences where i've like actually felt deep deep love and there's a lot of practice that went into breaking the heart open i've gotten to certain points where i've experienced overflowing love for the world and for myself and i think it's a journey to get there right i also don't think there's a destination that you get to and you're like i can now experience unconditional love i think unconditional love is is synonymous to to enlightenment to true enlightenment which is not an experience and it's not a state and it's not a place you get to and it's not a feeling that you experience it, it just is and you get to that isness through the process of surrendering everything and that's what's left it's like what's the the residue i always like to use the word burning the house down it's the residue of of after the entire house is burned down that's what's left but in the process of burning the self or the house the self is burnt as well right and that's when unconditional love is cuz there's no longer a giver and res- hold on my cat just give me a second <laughs> <laughs> your cat wants unconditional love she does um <laughs> i you know i think for practice practical sake we should look at how to tap into the frequencies of love but i don't think we should make unconditional love a north star because there's a lot of nuances where you know where people think i need to be selfless and just give 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 and then their needs don't get met in the process right so i don't think we should attempt to be people that love unconditionally because you can't be someone you can't be james and love someone unconditionally it's not something that you do unconditional love is something that you are and you either get it or you don't right you either are unconditionally or unconditional love or you're not but we shouldn't place unconditional love as a north star because when i did that i realized that i was sacrificing a lot attempting to come across as somebody who loves unconditionally but it never works you can't mm-hmm. it, you you either are or you aren't you know and that's really the biggest the biggest lesson that i've learned which doesn't mean that you don't want to be 
you, you don't want to be concerned with love. I think we should all practice being loving and, and compassionate and kind. And it's a practice that I take very, very seriously in my life. But I don't worry about the notion of unconditional love. When it happens, I will know that it happened. But right now, it hasn't happened yet. You know, and it's just, it's just is what it is. You know. I was doing a mushroom trip recently, and one of the lessons that came up for me, and not the first time I've received this lesson, is that at the end of the day, we're all just seeking love. Like at the core of it, at the very core of it, we're not actually searching for money or success. We just want to be loved by someone or to receive love from something, you know? Do you find that's true? I do. I do. I think I, think I would add a little bit to that and I would say that we all know there's a nudge within us all that knows that our most natural state ever is love, right? And we're trying to connect with it, but we never know how to. And I, you know, I'll bring you back to my first mushroom trip that I ever had. Um, I remember having a walkthrough. The mushrooms just giving me a walkthrough of how it works, like the rules of the game. And then I sit <laughs> down and uh, they're like, this is how it works. This is what we're going to do. Blah, 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 blah. And uh, it was instant mutual respect developed. It's like they respect me. I respect them. We're friends now, you know, and, and I can trust them. The best way to describe it is I got taken into a different plane of reality, which I don't know what it was, but I get grabbed by the hand and I get walked by an all-knowing thing into what felt like home, right? Mm. And I feel like that's that's what we want because I started crying like crazy, like tears that I, I've never experienced before. It was like rivers. And the, the experience was, the best way to describe it is you've been searching for something your entire life. You don't know what you're looking for. You don't know what it is. You don't know where to find it. You're not even aware that you're looking for it. But the moment you find it, you know it. And you're like, this is it, right? And, and, and that was it for me. I was like, I was talking to this thing, at least trying to conceptualize it, to understand it mentally. And I kept asking it, where have you been all my life? I've been looking for you my entire life. And I, it, it, it felt like coming home. It felt like... Imagine you've been living abroad for 10 years and you don't even, you know that your family exists, but you don't know where, you don't know what they look like, whatever. But the moment you see a person on the street, you know that he's your family. And then you go up to him and you're like, like there's, there's instant recognition. And it's like, where have you been all my life? Right. And, and, and it's like very interesting, this, this instant recognition. And I think, that's what we're all looking for. And it is, to a certain extent, Jesus Christ. Now, he's never done this before. <laughs> he's attracted to the love. <laughs> he is. He is. He's, he's like the, the clingiest cat ever, bro. It's insane. Um, yeah, and you, you just, you know, you just go. 
You just know it. I don't know what I'm even saying anymore. <laughs> yeah. The, this feeling of home that you described, I felt that on DMT a lot. Right. And, mm. and there was this feeling of, like you said, coming back to something. That mm. it wasn't that I was going somewhere else with DMT. I was just coming yeah. back to the source. And the here was the somewhere else. Here was the temporary hologram right. playground that we came to experience. And, right. you know, just tears start streaming down your face because you're like, I found it. <laughs> I found the key. But now the question yeah. is, how do you bring that state back to this 3D world? How do you, having done the psychedelics, how do you come back to the 3D and tap into that love? The way you connect back to home is by removing the obstacles. It's a process of unlearning than doing anything, right? Because it's your natural state. It's the most natural thing in the world and it's hiding right under your nose. Now, unfortunately, I don't think I'm at a stage where I can talk about this from experience. I have had many, many experiences that other people would think are enlightenment experiences, but it's as long as it's an experience, it's not your natural state yet, right? Because experiences exist within the arising and passing away, right? One thing I wanted to ask you is, have you always felt love for yourself? Was there a time where you didn't love yourself? And how did you transform from that state to a state of feeling love for oneself? The, the, I've never, never, it's been until very recently that I started experiencing love for what it is. Um, because I never really had love towards myself for the longest time. The way I started experiencing love is by incorporating a practice called uh, TWIM meditation, which is Tranquil Wisdom Insight Meditation. And the first thing you do with it is all working on the heart, all about unlocking the heart. That's when I started really tapping into love. And when you do finally start feeling love, you can never go back. Like you just, you just can't go back because it's such a deep emotion that mm -hmm. you experience, you know. And I remember when it finally clicked for me, I was on a call with my mentor, Pierre. We talked about him on the last podcast as well. And um, he introduced me to the meditation. And we did a certain exercise, which I don't quite remember on the call. It wasn't really an exercise that's guided or anything. It was just a talk. And I ended up experiencing, and that was after my first mushroom trip. I ended up experiencing a wave of love and it unlocked something and I ended up going one entire week where I literally had no emotion that I experienced other than love. It was one of the most crazy experiences I've had. One entire week 
from in every waking and sleeping moment, the only thing that was surging through my body was absolute love and loving kindness. That was the only thing I was experiencing. And my thoughts were all aligned with that particular emotion for one entire week. There was beauty everywhere and there was love everywhere. And it was an insane experience. Like, it's like being on a trip for an entire week, fully sober. But the experience within your body is just insane. After that, I could never go back. You know, it's not like it's my natural state right now every day. But it's very, 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 very easy for me to tap into that state on command-ish. And um, there's also, the thing is, there's a lot of right view. And to me, the biggest thing in my spiritual journey has been right view. And I don't see that talked about a lot. There's something called right view. And with right view, you develop compassion. But that's also when the real identity change happens. Being able to have, to develop wisdom, to understand reality at a core level wisely. And wisdom is very simple. Wisdom is not complex. A wise man is a simple man. He's not a complex man. To me, it's only possible to go into those states very easily because I understand at a very core level, not at the conceptual level, but through observation of reality. You just understand certain natures of existence. The nature of existence, once it's understood, you can never go back because it, it hits you at such a fundamental level that things are just the way they are. And so suffering ceases to exist. But then what replaces suffering? Well, love replaces suffering, right? Because it's like, it's like the path of the, the, the unconditioned mind. This is what they call it. And I'm not fully unconditioned. I have a lot of work to do, but it's called the path of the unconditioned mind. The unconditioned mind is a clear mind. It's a light mind. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an untainted mind. There's no taints. The self does not taint reality. That's where you start going into the territory of unconditional love. When you actually understand reality, there's the, the, the emotion comes with understanding. You cannot have a state or the experience without a fundamental understanding. That's why, you know, when people talk about enlightenment, it becomes the norm, right? Because it's not, it's no longer just an emotion. It's accompanied with deep wisdom and you can't take away deep wisdom. It's, it's there. It's like you look at this. And it's like blue, right? You just know it's blue. Like, it is blue. That's it. That's the end of the story. It's very simple. That's how it becomes. The TWIM technique. I'm curious, mm. you mentioned TWIM. Can you run us through a process yeah. of how the listener could apply that in their life? Yes. I would, I would recommend that if people are interested in learning the twim technique they actually um we can we can leave some links in the bio maybe sure the show notes yeah recommend some things because yeah the way the way you start is it become it starts as a loving kindness meditation 
right? Depending on the amount of pain you're experiencing right now, you might not be able to tap into metta right away. And for those people, I would recommend a forgiveness practice. And we can leave links for that as well. But for those of you that feel like you don't have layers and layers of pain and you can do something like this, you sit down, whatever posture you want, nothing too crazy. You can sit in the lotus position, you can sit on a chair, you can sit on a couch. Close your eyes, relax your body, and then you want to connect with love, right? So the way, the way we started this practice is first you want to imagine something. You want to bring up the feeling because in the, in the beginning, it's really difficult to bring it up without having a mental association. So at the beginning, I would bring it up by imagining my cat as a little baby, you know, or you can imagine a child, anything that really gets you into a state of deep love. And you do that for five minutes and you really, it's not about the, 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 the vision. It's about the emotion that accompanies it. From there, after five minutes or so, you go into 10 minutes of giving love to yourself. And you repeat the mantras that say, may I be happy? May I be healthy? May I be safe? May I be loved? And you don't repeat the mantras mechanically. If you say it once, the, the whole point of the practice is to bring up the emotion. So the moment the emotion comes up, you want to focus on it. So you might say, may I be happy? And you start feeling it. Then you, sh you shut up and you sit there and you just feel the emotion. Maybe once it starts to subside, you bring it back up again. May I be loved? And you feel it. Right now, for some people, it's going to be easier than others. For me, it was extremely difficult to begin with. Very, very difficult. I could not bring up love. After 10 minutes of that, you want to give love to someone else. We call them the spiritual friend. They have to be alive. They have to be of the same sex and somebody that you personally know. You can't like you don't want to do it to a celebrity or to Buddha or Christ or whatever. Like you want to do it to somebody, you know, somebody you, you perceive as an actual friend that you want to pick someone easy to give love to as well. You don't want to pick somebody who have resentment towards or hatred towards or there's problems or whatever. Pick somebody you can love. For most people, you also want to stay away from family members. So friend, <laughs> same sex. Um, friend, same sex, alive and not a family member. That's actually like part of the rules. Um, and then you give them that you do the same thing to them for 15 minutes. So it's a total of 30 minutes to begin with five minutes to bring up the emotion, 10 minute to to yourself and then 15 minutes to the spiritual friend. And throughout your meditation sits, you want to keep the same spiritual friend. You don't want to change it. You don't want to change the person. You just pick one and you go with it. And. You give you, you do the same thing to them. You close your eyes, you hold them in, in your heart. And you say, may you be happy. May you be healthy. May you be safe. May you, be you might need to repeat it once and then you just feel the emotion and you don't repeat the mantras anymore. We're not interested in the mantras. We're not interested in the words. We're interested in connecting with the emotion. Now, the, the, the part of the 
twim that really separates it from all else is is that it's insight meditation and concentration meditation at the same time it's jhana meditation and, and, and insight meditation at the same time so that's that's going to bring up the brahma vihara which is metta but then there's also going to be the six r's and the six r's are pretty much while you're doing this your mind being your mind is going to distract itself it might you know, tell you, oh, we have stuff in the oven, we have a video to record, I need to respond to this client. It's going to bring up triggers that will sway your focus. That's where you follow the six R's. Your mind shifts focus. You recognize, you release, you return, you, you, you re-smile and you repeat, right? So it's recognize, release, relax, re-smile, and, and repeat. It's, these are actually five because I, I look at them as five, but they are six. But we'll leave resources for, for all of them. Um, and, and you just, you know, every t your mind is going to want to go away. A lot of people start doing this practice and they're like, well, I can't feel the love because my mind keeps distracting me. Good. It's a good thing because that's the practice. The practice is the Brahma Vihara part where you start tapping into love. But the other practice is also purifying. And the six R's purify your karma because you no longer repeat the same thought patterns. That's how you develop deep equanimity, right? Hello, Kitty. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't like to explain those things because I feel like there are a lot better resources to explain. And it's very important that you get it right and you follow it to the T. So that's why you want to, you know, I learned it from, from Bante. It's, it's recognize, release, relax, re-smile, return and repeat. So you recognize that you were distracted, you relax, you re-smile, because there needs to be a smile on your face at all times. The smile makes it all easy. Then you return to your object of meditation, which in this case is metta, and then you repeat. So every time you get distracted, you recognize, you, you relax, you re-smile, you return, you repeat, mm -hmm. keep doing it again and again. You said in the beginning it was quite difficult for you to reach that state. What was the turning point yeah. for you? At some points, it breaks through. There's, there's the concept of nutriment, and it's very similar to the concept of, of, of identity change and law of attraction. In Buddhism, whatever you feed nutriment to continues, right? So all you got to do is, to a certain extent, just attention. They say attention is like the, the wildfire. Whatever you give attention to grows. So if, you, if you're given a lot of attention to your thoughts you're going to go in that direction. Typically, the conditioned self is going to keep reinforcing itself. But then as you're doing this meditation, because you're, you're, you're putting your attention on metta, metta is there. Like, like you said, all frequencies are there available to you. You just need to align your attention to that particular frequency and it's going to come. So at some point, you're constantly 6 ring the, the other conditioned self and you're focused on this. At some point, you break through. And you experience the emotion. Now, here's the cool thing. When you actually experience metta, 
it changes you at a fundamental level, especially if you carry it with you on, on a daily basis. Especially if I'm sitting with you and I'm genuinely wishing you, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be safe, may you be loved. It changes your perception of the world. It, to me, when I, when I had that one week long experience, it genuinely felt like I was seeing the world through a rose-tinted glasses. It was insane. And it was because it puts your mind in a completely different place. And that's where wisdom is developed. That's how you develop the wisdom because the perception, the filter of reality changes completely. And that's where you develop wisdom. You start seeing people as they are because the self for a moment takes a back seat. And I start seeing you as you truly are. And that's why the more you feel metta, the easier it is to feel metta. Because I can sit here and see you as you truly are. Right? I don't need to, I don't project my image of you onto you. I can see you. And when I see you, it's extremely easy to love you. There's not much because it's not about me anymore. Right? Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying where it's like you don't experience love through the self. You don't experience love through James. You could, but, but we could also argue that that's attachment. But true love is, is, does not depend on the self. True, true love, unconditional love, can exist even if the self ceases to exist. Even if you are not here, love can, can exist. And so you start experiencing it that way. And it's a pure kind of love. It's the love that I want nothing in return. It's the love that this is not about me. It's almost like you're looking at something beautiful and you're just appreciating it, right? And there's no self involved in the process of appreciation. It's like when you see something so, so beautiful that you just, you're like, wow, I love this, you know? And there's no need to grasp or control or want or need. It's like, it's just something, you know? It becomes easier because your mind starts developing new connections. You will get to a point where you can tap into this feeling on command. And the beauty about this feeling, this Brahma Vihara, is that it's very potent in the world as well. It helps you when you are... Like if you're sad and you just know how to tap into metta, you no longer feel sad. If you're sitting with somebody and they're sad and you sit in metta, they, they feel better. The, the, the people who, like, I know, I know a guy who would go into the supermarket and he would see moms carrying their babies and the babies would be crying. And he would just send metta to the babies and the babies would stop crying. It's quite insane. And there's, there's, there's just so much value to this but the thing is i don't want to talk about the value on it because i don't want to sell it to people this is not a practice that you sell to people it's just like if you want to do it do it if you don't don't mm -hmm. you know? yes just in case we didn't define meta in the beginning could you give us a definition of meta right meta is is the brahma vihara one of the four you've got meta karuna upeka and mudita meta mm -hmm. is loving kindness Karuna is compassion, 
Mudita is joy and Upeka is equanimity. And those are Brahma Viharas that arise as you go down the jhanas in meditation. But you can also get to the point where you can bring them up in daily life when you want to, which requires practice. But metta is where you start. And it's very, 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 very powerful. It's life-changing. It's absolutely life-changing. I said it before. I've spent about six figures into mentorships. And if there's one thing, if I had to brainwash myself and forget everything, keep one thing, it would be twim and metta. And I would forget everything else. Beautiful. We'll link to the show notes, uh, some links around those two practices. Yeah. Beautiful. You mentioned that when you truly feel love for someone, it's not coming from the self. It's coming from something deeper. So when you feel when you feel love for someone, but you also feel resentment for them for because of some prior wound or prior conflict with that person, often it comes up in relationships. How how do you navigate that and how do you explain resentment? It's like you love the person and yet you're holding something back or you're having some sort of grudge. How how do you experience that and how do you how do you navigate that? Well, at the beginning of the practice, that's why it's very important to not focus on people that you resent. It's very important to focus that it's all about bringing up the emotion and getting very accustomed to it because with the emotion comes wisdom and with the wisdom comes right view of the world. Mm. And with the right view, when you see things clearly, right? Remember when I said when you actually see that suffering is not valuable, you just drop it. When you start seeing things as they are, the resentment just drops away. You don't, you, you don't need to do anything. You, do, you don't need to do anything for the resentment to go away, for the grudge to go away. The, the suffering is a result of lack of right view and lack of wisdom. Right? And wisdom is developed through right view. And when you have the wisdom, suffering ceases to exist, which means resentment ceases to exist. Yeah. You can't resent yeah. something that you deeply understand. It's just impossible. And that's why love is, is a natural byproduct of wisdom as well, eventually. It, it's, it just is. It's there. The, the best way to describe it is like, love is there waiting for you it has the patience of billions of years and it has the power of universes and it's just waiting for you you need to do nothing to get to love there's nothing that you need to do you just need to see it it's there and and whenever you choose to see it it's there ready to go you know nothing needs to be done nothing needs to be created all you need to do is see things as they are it's all a matter of wisdom. It's all a matter of, do you see things clearly? And the way you see things clearly, because even wisdom is your birthright. And wisdom is there waiting for you as well. You don't need to get wise. You need to let go of the things tainting your vision and tainting your view. You need to let go of the illusion to see the truth. And then when you see the truth, you see the wisdom. And when you see the wisdom, you feel the love. 
they all come together. It's like a big package. Mm -hmm. Wisdom and love and right view and, and, and compassion. They all come together. And they're all a result of each other. Where does the concept of right view come from? Because I, I deeply resonate with that. That there is this ideal way of seeing things that enriches your soul and makes your life flow easier. And there's also a way of seeing things that causes suffering. Yeah, it comes from Buddhism. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't consider myself a Buddhist, but I, I have found Buddhism to be, especially when studied properly from the right mentors and teachers, to be a very complete spiritual path. And it comes from see it, it comes from first you start with conceptual understandings, but then when you incorporate when you understand it conceptually and then you apply observation, you start seeing those concepts in action and that's when they click. So right view is talking about the three characteristics of existence, which are impermanence, not self, and unsatisfactoriness of everything that arises and passes away. You, this is pretty much, these are the insights you get when you go to a Vipassana retreat, for example, right? It's insight meditation. You, when you start seeing these phenomenas in, in, in reality, it starts clicking. The Four Noble Truths and then the links of dependent origination. I would genuinely recommend those things to, 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 to serious spiritual seekers because that was what really put my spiritual practice on steroids because it allowed me to develop the right view. When you, when you understand the nature of reality at a very fundamental level, it's extremely difficult to get emotional. It's very difficult to get emotional. It's almost impossible in the sense of reactiveness and stuff because you're, you, you, it's like understanding the game at a very, very, very deep fundamental level that you're aware that, let's say, let's take the concept of impermanence, right? When you look at something that, an emotion that arises, if you understand the concept of impermanence very deeply at a core level, you don't identify with something that is impermanent. If something is impermanent, if it arises and passes away, then it's not the self. But if it also arises and passes away, then it makes no sense to give it importance at all. Right? Mm -hmm. So when you don't give it importance, when you actually see it as impermanent, it's just like something that's arising and passing away. And it is what it is. You know? And then it, it passes away. I actually am choosing not to get really philosophical. I could use very philosophical terms to describe it, but I don't think it's necessary because this is not stuff that you would want to anyway understand through ideas. Because the idea, like I could sit here and tell you, well, everything is impermanent, it arises and passes away. Won't make a change in your life. It won't change anything. It's about true observation. It's about when you close your eyes and you're six Ring stuff and there's an, a thought that comes up and then you're aware of movement of thought as well and movement of attention and you're aware how a thought arises and then eventually it goes away from your attention. So it arises and it passes away. 
right? And at the same time, your attention, there's also movement. Everything changes. Change is real, right? And, and, and when you start observing those things, then you don't grasp onto things anymore because you're aware of the nature of things. And this can be extrapolated, this can be expanded as well, to the self. The self arises and passes away as a whole. The entire identity, right? You, you, uh, birth and death, right? And so you no longer identify with the process of existence as a whole as well. Because you can see the impermanence of it. Talk to me about loneliness. What do you think is the cause of loneliness and how does it relate to love? It's a very good question because I've struggled with loneliness my entire life and I've tried to seek it in, in many things from businesses to women to everything you could think of. And um, I, I've recently gotten to a point where I actually... And by recent, I mean like six months ago. Loneliness is a result of lack of connection. To, I don't know what, but it's a result of there's a disconnect somewhere. It's, it's a result of, of a lack of love, I would say. And the biggest illusion is that you solve loneliness by getting love somewhere. And it was such a mind-blowing experience when I realized that the moment I was giving love, I stopped feeling lonely. It's not about getting. You don't stop feeling lonely by getting love. You don't fix loneliness by getting anything. You fix loneliness by giving, which was such a mind-blowing thing to me. It's like, and that's why metta is so powerful because you're giving metta to people. You're sending loving kindness to people, right? And it's like the moment you sit down and you send love to, to, to people, it just disappears. It's insane. Hmm. And it's like it, it was a complete paradigm shift for me because that makes metta such a powerful practice as well because I can be sitting there giving love and it's like it changed my entire concept of how to overcome loneliness because my entire life I'm like I need to get something. I need someone to love me. But it turns out that I just need to bring up the, the, the love within me. And that was the solution. That was literally the medicine to all of it. You just bring it up within you. And in the process of giving, you give yourself as well. Hmm. And it's the purest kind. And then loneliness just goes away. It's so insane. It's, it's. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. It's so amazing. And it, it is this illusion of I just need this other person to feel less lonely but you're saying no you need to give more love and then by giving more love you're actually giving yourself that feeling yeah yeah, yeah. precisely ah so beautiful what about forgiveness how do you think forgiveness ties into love there's there's a forgiveness practice that we do before especially for people that feel a little bit um they weigh more, they feel a little bit heavy in the chest. They can't bring up the emotion of love easily. They need to do a forgiveness practice, typically. And you know what the mantra for that is? I forgive myself. 
for not understanding. And it's such a beautiful mantra. I forgive myself for not understanding. Because suffering is a result of lack of wisdom, a lack of understanding. Right? So you just sit there, you close your eyes, and I forgive myself for not understanding. And it applies to everything, to everything. You can take anything that you're resentful towards, and if you forgive yourself for not understanding, it works. It, it, it's slowly the heart starts to break open, and sometimes you need to do it for months. I had to do two months of it to, to actually, um, you know, see, start, start feeling love as well. I did it alongside metta. So I would do the metta, the twin practice, and I would do forgiveness. Um, but it's recommended you do forgiveness first. I love what you said that I forgive myself for a lack of understanding. So you're taking the, the pressure off of yourself to have known what to do the right way. You did the best you could, and you now forgive yourself for not knowing or not understanding at the time the consequences yeah. of one's action. Yeah, precisely. That's powerful. How do you think gratitude ties into love? I feel like that has such an amazing synergy. The act of feeling grateful for life, for oneself, for others, immediately seems to bring up the emotion of love. Right. Yes, it does. It's, it's quite... To me, personally, I've never used the label gratitude for my practice. I just, I'm a very simple person, right? I just, you know, learned this practice and I told myself, you know what? I'm going to stick to this practice. And I would just sit every day to, started with 30 minutes, got up to four hours. You know, some days I do four hours of meditation and it changes and all of that. But like I said, with, with the practice, you just naturally because you're feeling love, you feel gratitude for those that you love. Because you're feeling, um, because you're feeling good, you feel grateful. Because you're feeling grateful, you feel like it, it, it's all bundled up for me. It's, it's, it's. I think gratitude is very important, and I think that we, we really, despite the 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 stress of how much gratitude is helpful we still underestimate the power of, of gratitude because it's one of the the highest vibrational manifestation tools as well because it reinforces abundance that's that's why i like gratitude a lot yes you're thinking for something that as if it's already happened so instead of yeah. asking from a place of scarcity you're you can actually thank for things that are yet to come into your life as if they've already come into your life yeah. Or or even or even the things that you have in your life that, that you're grateful for. It's reinforcing the the Jesus. It's reinforcing the idea of abundance with where you are as well. Because I I always look at it this way. I'm like if if I'm not abundant now, or if I don't feel fulfilled right now, I'm never going to. I really realize that the external does not have any impact on the internal whatsoever. And the biggest illusion we have is that if I do X, I will eventually feel Y. That never happens, right? It's the biggest lie of all time. If you feel Y, you can experience X. That's how it's mm. supposed to be, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. 
And it's like, I always thought, well, when I make this amount of money or when I do this, I'm going to feel like this. And it never happened. And no wonder it never happened. Of course it never happened. Why would it? Life doesn't work that way. But when you are actually in abundance and you really tap into the frequency of gratitude, it kind of reinforces completeness and it reinforces the opposite of lack. And it also trains your mind to build new neural pathways that will lead to fulfillment and will lead to abundance because that's what you're seeing. You're choosing to program the mind to see abundance, right? Yes. I think it's a very, very powerful tool. I think it's one of the, the most powerful tools in manifestation or just for general mental health and emotional well-being. Mm -hmm. What role do you think vulnerability plays in experiencing love both for oneself and in relationships? Vulnerability. What role does it play? It plays a huge role. Huge role. It plays a huge role and it's also an act of love in a in a way. How so? It's an, it's an act of trust as well. We all want to be vulnerable in a very kind of, kind of counter like paradoxical way. We all hide behind masks, but we all want to be seen for who we truly are. But we're afraid, right? And when you, when you develop the, the ability or the... When you really tap into love, you start recognizing that nothing can really hurt you. And through your vulnerability, you inspire other peoples to let go as well. And at the same time, because you are approaching people with loving eyes, they get to feel vulnerable as well. And notice like feeling vulnerable, remove the negative connotation to feeling vulnerable. Being vulnerable is what all of us want because that's what that's when love truly matters. Like you could you could show me your mask and I could love your mask, but you're never going to feel me my love. You're never going to feel it. You're only going to feel it when you show me your truth and I still love it. Uh, right? Wow. Wow, yeah. It reminds me of something you said to me once before, which is that for a while there you thought your friends loved you because of the masks that you convincingly put up. Until you realized yeah. they love you in spite of the masks that they see right through right. to your truth. And they love you as you are, even with all the masks. <laughs> exactly. 100%. And, and, and that's just a, a, a way better way. A way better way to be loved. And to love as well. Yes. For those struggling yeah. with being vulnerable with others, taking down the masks, is there any piece of encouragement or advice that you could offer? Sure. Well, let's, let's look at, let's look at the reason they have on a mask in the first place, right? Removing the mask is gonna, is, is gonna be a decision that is gonna be made a little bit naturally. You have to look at what the mask is reinforcing and the mask is reinforcing lack. Otherwise you wouldn't have a mask. And the interesting thing is that all of us, and this is where the idea of love comes back, all of us want to be loved. And I always say this, 
All of us want to be loved, but we don't love ourselves. All of us want to be admired, but we don't admire ourselves. All of us want to be respected, we don't respect ourselves. And it's like, why are you expecting the world to give you something that you are not giving yourself? Like that should be an instant, oh my God, you're right. Because if I have a mask on, what am I telling myself? If I truly loved myself, would I have a mask on? If I had truly given myself the love and attention I, I need, would I truly have put a mask on? And the simple answer is no. And the other thing is, a lot of us are afraid of abandonment. But you're the first to abandon yourself. All the time. It's like, we want people to care about us and our emotions, but you are the first person to abandon yourself whenever an emotion comes up. You don't give it any attention. You don't give it any care. You distract. You abandon. You, the person who, re who, who is afraid of being rejected, you are the first person to reject yourself because the first thought that comes to your mind is, oh, I'll probably get rejected. So you just do it for yourself. Yeah. It's like you're rejecting yourself before you get rejected. So who's really rejecting you? Who's really not loving you? Who's really not respecting you? Yes. And it's all you. My friend Steve said something really interesting. Mm. He said to me, rejection is honest. So if someone is rejecting you, whether you as a person or you're selling a product to someone and they reject the offer, rejection is honesty. They're just letting you know their honest truth and they're not playing games with you. So there is a positive framing of rejection that one could also adopt. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with that. It's, it's, it's quite interesting how humans work, you know. And I think that the fundamentalist understanding is you cannot get anything from the external world that you are not actively giving yourself. End of story. Oof. You cannot get anything from the external world that you are not actively giving yourself first. Wow. It's like it comes back to the energy, right? So you will never experience something until you energetically align with it. Otherwise, it will float out of your experience. Yep, exactly. 100%. What is one of the deepest lessons you learned about loving others and being in a relationship with others? They're just, they're just my little children. <laughs> no, seriously, like this is, this has been one of the easiest ways for me to tap into love. It's like, we're all children at heart. Like mm -hmm. I'm, you know, we're, we're all little kids at heart. Like that's, that's really, and I, I bring that out in people like fuck being serious. Like I used to jump with business on, on business meetings where people are like really serious and they've got a rod up their ass. And I'm like, just, just, I just, you just fuck with them, <laughs> you know? And then like, cause people want that. Like, just, just look at the, see to me, it's like, see the child within every person. Look into their eyes and you're going to see the child and love flows easily, right? If you look for purity, you will see purity. And how difficult is it to love something that's pure, really? It's only difficult mm -hmm. to love something because you project so much dirt onto them. Your own conceptions and images cloud the truth. 
But then how difficult is it to truly love something pure? Why is it so easy to feel love towards a little puppy or a little kitten or a little child? Like your voice changes, your facial expression changes, everything changed. And then people are like, oh, I don't feel love. No, you just felt love right there. I put a puppy in front of you. Your heart overflows with love. You want to hug the sucker. So what's going on there? Well, for, for, for a short period of time, your mind is not tainting reality with its freaking dirt and, and projections and, and judgment and prejudice. It's yes. seeing things clearly. It's light. And it's like, that's what metta does. It clears the mind. And then you just look into the eyes of everybody and you just, you see purity. Because there is purity within every one of us. It's just what you bring out. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah, I love that. I often see that too, of, of looking past the adult self and looking into someone's inner child and, and spotting that within them. And then you actually yeah. get a deeper connection to them because because it's just such a core part of who we are like you said we yeah. are all kids we just look a little bit older and we act yeah. a little bit more mature sometimes not even that yeah precisely can love exist without trust depends on the kind of love we're talking about i don't think love that is like between friends or in intimate relationships can exist without trust. The love that we talk about, but then the, the, the love, love as, as a, the state of love in relationships and with friends and people around you, it needs a degree of trust. Otherwise it's not love, but love, which gives rise to everything else that can exist without trust. Cause I love, I genuinely have love to people I see on the street. Like when I'm walking down the street and I see people in my heart, there's so much love for them. Cause this is, this is a member of the human species. We're in this ride together, right? He's had, yes. or she's had many, many experiences that have shaped them to who they are. And I'm not going to sit there and judge them because maybe they didn't have access to the kind of information that I have access to that made me today. So regardless what they do, they can be, you know, they can be bad people. I have love towards them. Compassion is the word, right? You mm -hmm. have compassion. And compassion comes through wisdom as well because you understand the, the, the meaninglessness of it all. And, and I get to sit here and, and I get to have had people in my life and experiences in my life that have made me the man I am today. And I get to see, maybe not completely, but at least to a certain degree, the, the meaninglessness of the game, which are, gives great freedom for me to express myself and, and not be identified with the game, which eases my suffering and fills my cup. But other people don't have that. And even if they do, I still have compassion and love towards these people. And maybe I don't trust them. Maybe I wouldn't trust putting a hundred bucks in front of them because I know the human conditioning would steal the hundred bucks. But mm. what's beneath that? I love that. Mm. Right? It's beautiful. Yeah. So I think it could exist without trust. It just depends what kind of love we're talking about. Mm -hmm. 
What is the difference between love and attachment? Attachment is quite literally the opposite of love. Attachment is very, very selfish. It's the ego seeking identification and survival through the other. Love, the purest kind of love, has no experiencer and no experience. Duh. So, I'd say they're completely different. Very, very different. When you're attached to someone, you don't love them. You're, you, you love how they make you feel. And I'm using cliche quotes here. But they're, they're cliche quotes for a reason. And it's because they deliver the point across very well. If you love something, you let it go. And I don't mean like literally go away, let it go. By let it go, it's like you don't have attachment to it. Like when people say, I love you. Do you actually love me? Or do you love the, the, the idea of me and how I make you feel? Right? And the biggest example of attachment we can look at. This is how you can discern love and attachment. You know why people grief when other people die? And this is a little bit controversial. That's attachment. And attachment, by the way, is not necessarily a bad thing. Like, don't think, oh, of course I'm going to be attached. You can be attached. We're not Buddhas here, not attached. Like, part of the game is, is being attached. That's cool. But people grieve very much because, especially when someone close to them dies, it's not because of how much they loved them. It's because of how much they were attached from them. And now they're never going to get to feel how that person made them feel ever again. So they lost something. With they, they're they're grieving the part within that they lost. They're not grieving the death of the person. Right. At some point, yes, I do love that person, but I'm I'm grieving, the fact that I'm never gonna get to experience this thing again. So I'm relating it to the self. That's why when people get enlightened, they don't have such a negative connotation to the to death. It's because what's dying anyway? Right? Love is pure. Love is not about how you make me feel. Love is not about what you do for me. Love is not about the, the, there's no benefit from love. Love is not about the benefits that you get. It's just, just, a, it's just is, it's who you are. You know, that's really the deepest thing about love. And that's why, that's why when, the thing about unconditional love is you can never have unconditional love for one person. That's really, that's a really cool thing. You can't have unconditional love to one person. You either have unconditional love, period, or you don't. You can't love one person. If you say, I love you unconditionally, but then you don't love another person unconditionally, you don't love unconditionally because that's a condition. <laughs> yes. And, th and that's what I mean by, by love being a, a, a characteristic. Unconditional love is a characteristic of existence that exists beneath the self beneath the illusion of the self. Because once you experience unconditional love, there's no longer self and other, because it's unconditional. It's just, there's either unconditional love or there's no unconditional love. There's no between. 
you know. Yes. What is heartbreak? How does it happen and why do we feel so heartbroken over a breakup, over um, someone betraying us that we really love? I'm not, nothing necessarily comes to mind. I just, I just know that it relates to attachment mm. and it's, 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 uh, I really love heartbreaks by the way, because they're, <laughs> they're periods of, no, I genuinely do because a heartbreak in the grand scheme of the game is your best opportunity to see clearly you know, people suffer because they get the opportunity to observe suffering and the characteristics of suffering. And when you understand suffering, you never suffer again. And heartbreak is great because suffering is a catalyst of action. And I think the 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 intricacies or, or why does a heartbreak hurt? Well, it's because you're there's there's a lot of attachment and investment. And it it's it it's the same thing as someone dying. It feels the same. It's the same grief. You lose part of you. You're not grieving the loss of the person. You're you're grieving you're grieving the loss of something within you, right? And that's why you experience a lot of grief because it feels like death. But the beauty about it is that experiences like these is where the most transformation happens because you're in so much pain that it forces you almost to explore a different way to see things differently and to develop wisdom as well mm. you know i would say that any person going through a heartbreak right now or through grief right now this is a beautiful gift a beautiful opportunity for you to really go into it and 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 come out the like you, you you genuinely come out the other side a changed human being nothing changes a man or a woman as much as deep grief i think grief is one of those things that really changes us at our core there's something beautiful. There, like, like there's, there's this Rumi poem. I don't remember it, but there's a gift in grief. Mm. You know. Grief can be the garden of compassion. If you keep your heart open through everything, your pain can become your greatest ally in your life's search for love and wisdom. Yeah, precisely. And there's another one here. I saw grief drinking a cup of sorrow and called out, It tastes sweet, does it not? You've caught me, grief answered, and you've ruined my business. How can I sell sorrow when you know it's a blessing? Yeah. It's hard to understand when you're really going through a tough time. It's hard to sometimes see sorrow as a blessing, don't you think? I do, yes, but you don't need to. When you're in it, you don't need to. You're only going to see it after you're out. You'd be a madman to be in your grief and be like, hell yeah. Like, no one's going to do it. But when you're out of it, you see the wisdom in it. And the beauty about grief is that it's so powerful that the only thing you can do, even for people like me who are very, very 
uh, stubborn and it was extremely difficult <laughs> for me to surrender. I, I just didn't want to surrender. The only thing that's going to get you to truly experience what real surrender is, is grief. Because at that point, you don't have any more power to do anything. I've had the most spiritual experiences where my heart opened with love and I cried my tears out because of the overflowing amount of loves I felt while I was grieving. Because it was the only time where my, I was so tired that my ego didn't, couldn't even be active. I was like, fuck it, I'm going to surrender. You know, like, I don't give a shit anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. And you just mm -hmm. surrender to it. And when you surrender, there's there's a quality of softness that comes up and, and your heart breaks open because you just took away the armor. Ah, uh, wow. If someone is going through grief right now, should they be trying to get out of it or should they stay in it and feel it deeply? How does one navigate through grief? I think the answer is a little bit more nuanced than this because you don't want to sit in grief because that's not going to be helpful at all. Like sitting there, like you don't want to sit in your sorrow and, and cry yourself to sleep because of how difficult things are. You also don't want to resist it and try to act like it's not there. Mm -hmm. There's There's a certain sense of allowing. The thing is grief like everything, it arises and passes away, but our resistance of it is what holds it and our identification with it as well is what holds it. So to me, going back to metta, metta was like the remedy to grief. It was like a medicine. It's like when you have a burn and you just put on it like menthol, whatever, and you just feel the healing happen. That was that was when I truly took metta seriously and when I experienced the most spiritual gains was, was through grief and I would sit down and I would practice metta and feeling metta through the grief. You know how you know how beautiful it is to be in grief and still choose to give love? Mm. It breaks you, it breaks your heart open like no other. It's crazy. Like you're feeling grief and you're still choosing to sit there and send love to yourself and to to others, to all beings. And it just breaks your heart in a way that that is really beautiful. That that you 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 cry a lot, and then it it the best way to describe it is like being purified by fire. Like it's a process of purification, and and that's where you ask any person who's who's had really powerful spiritual experiences. They had to go through those dark nights. Because that's where the purification happens. That's where karma is burned out, burned off. Yeah, it's just, just it, it's not only does it is it a beautiful act. It also feels like like the love is is burning the grief, and it's cracking your heart open, and you're crying, and it's you feel light. It's like you feel good in your grief. You feel free mm -hmm. in your grief. Hmm. In the last 12 months, what was the deepest lesson you learned about love? I want to sound I want to sound smart with this, but <laughs> I want to say love has no requirements, but that's not my genuine answer. But that's cool, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
It does have no requirements, but that's not the biggest lesson. I think it's 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 become one of my top values in life. I never valued love as much as I did in the past 12 months. Love to me right now is a daily thing. It, it It's with me every single second of the day. Every single second of the day. I, I'm in meta almost every single second of the day. Unless I go, I, I really get triggered by something really bad. There is love in my eyes and love in my heart every single second of the day. It's selfless and it's selfish as well. It's selfish because it's it's makes it prevents overwhelm. It prevents negative thoughts. It prevents insecurity. It makes you almost invincible to those negative emotions. But at the same time, you develop so much wisdom by sitting in love. Because when you sit and you observe people acting in the game while you're approaching it from love, you just see it from a completely different perspective, from a higher perspective. And I look at my cat and, and I see it doing its thing. Like before, I would probably get so annoyed. But right now, it's like, it's just doing its thing. It's just an entity doing its thing. I see humans doing the same thing. There's like constant and even even to people like resentment doesn't arise anymore because there's understanding of why things are happening. Like when when somebody is mad at you and, and they're 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 angry. If you are not in meta, the easiest thing to do is to flip off and get triggered and get into like a confrontational game. But when you're actually in meta, you can see the pain. You can see the person suffering in front of you and you choose not to add to the suffering, which doesn't mean you don't set your boundaries or you don't talk about it. It just means that the energy it's approached from is completely different. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the biggest lesson. Omar, it's been such a pleasure to have this conversation with you. You're such a deep and wise soul and full of love. And it's a, it's an honor to have your presence on the show. Thank you, bro. Yeah, it was, it was, it was amazing. I just have one last question. What do you most love about yourself? Hmm. My answer is, is, is one word, I'd say my courage. That's, that's the thing to me that, that really drives me and I'm, I'm connecting it to my bigger message every day. It's courage, bro. Like everything that the theme of my life has been courage, courage to challenge authority courage to believe in myself, courage to do stuff against the odds, courage to love. You need courage to love, dude. Courage to be vulnerable, you know? You need to be courageous. Courage to take risk. Courage to fail. Courage to experience. Courage to live. I think life without courage is not a life well lived. A truly well-lived life requires courage in everything that you do. You need to be courageous in every single step of the way. And I don't know where I'd be if it weren't for my courage. So that's the thing I love the most about myself. Mm. 
I love that. Omar, where can people find you if they want to send love to you? Oh, that's good. Um, send me love, please. Um, it's on at the Omar Omar Harb, which is the Omar H A R B on Instagram. That's where they can find me. Cool. And you've also got a YouTube channel that you're starting up and and posting some beautiful things there. Yeah. Well, thanks to you, I did. <laughs> we launched the first video on, I believe, on Tuesday after our conversation together. And uh, yeah, I'm, it's also my name, O M A R H A R B, and we're probably going to be posting a lot more on there. Beautiful. Thank you so much, dude. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you, bro. You're you're an amazing interviewer. You've been listening to the Microdose with my very special guest Omar Harb. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor and share this conversation with one friend who you think might benefit from this podcast. And if you want to reach out and connect with me personally, I'd love to hear from you. Visit jameszander.com. You can find my newsletter there and my email. I'd love to hear your story of love and relationships and self-love and what you've learned about love in your life. You can also find me on YouTube, where I post videos on love, mindset, life, psychedelics, the nature of reality, and so much more. I'd love to see you there. Check it out. Uh, There's a link in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. Much love. This episode is sponsored by magicmush.ca. If you're looking for an online dispensary for magic mushrooms, mushroom chocolate, and other high-quality psychedelic products, head over to magicmush.ca and use the promo code JAMES to get 25% off. Thank you for listening, and have a beautiful trip. Hello, beautiful soul. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you learned something today, and I hope this episode helped you in your psychedelic and spiritual journey. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy my other podcast, The James Xander Trip, where every week I bring a fascinating guest onto the podcast to dive into psychedelics, mindset, and spirituality. Search for The James Xander Trip on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, or visit jameszandertrip.com. I recommend listening to the first episode, where I dive into ayahuasca with my friend Jacob and his wild experiences on psychedelics. And if you want to stay connected with me, join my free newsletter at jameszandertrip.com. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. If you enjoyed this episode, you might enjoy my brand new audio course, Unlock God Mode. Unlock God Mode is a four-week experience where every day you'll get a 15-minute audio lesson that gives you frameworks, tools, and perspectives to upgrade your relationship with life. In the same way that mushrooms give you insights that help you up-level in the video game of life, I designed this course to do the same thing for you. I've compiled every lesson that I learned through psychedelics, through meditation, through my spiritual work, through life. I've put my best tools in this course so that no matter who you are, if you choose to go on this adventure with me, 
You're going to learn some amazing frameworks. You're going to learn to see life with new eyes. You will improve your relationship with life. And by extension, your life will improve. If you're interested in more details, go to jameszander.com slash godmode or use the link in the show notes. Use the promo code SHROOMS for a special discount. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I deeply appreciate you. Feel free to reach out to me through my newsletter. Go to jameszander.com to sign up. I'd love to connect.